ticket. Guys, Simply Earth's Essential Oil Recipes box makes it easy to master essential oils at over $150 in value. You're going to get four full-size essential oils and all the ingredients you need to make six natural recipes, all for just $39 when you subscribe. Do you want to live a healthier life? Do you want the air in your home, or in my case, our tour bus to be toxin-free? The answer is yes. Now, this is an amazing company, and here's why. Not just because of 100% pure and natural Simply Earth ingredients delivered straight to your door, but because these are essential oils that change the world, and here's how. 13% of their profits go to help end human trafficking. I'm going to say that again. 13% of their profits go to help end human trafficking. So when you get your essential oils from another company, well, you're going to get essential oils regardless. If you're like the West family, we want to get it from a company that wants to be a part of a cause greater than just profit. And that's what Simply Earth is about. We want to help end human trafficking. I hope you do too. These are the purest oils on earth. Like I said, 100% pure. There are no synthetics, no fillers in these oils. They're tested to be 100% pure with no additives, only the good stuff. These recipes work, too. Every single recipe is created and tested by AHA-certified aromatherapists. You won't get a recipe unless they love it. So here's how it works. You get 100% pure and natural Simply Earth ingredients delivered to your door. You follow the fun recipes in your Simply Earth essential oil recipe box to make products that you know will work because they're created and tested by certified aromatherapists. And you get to enjoy a home free of toxins as we are in the fall spending more time indoors that is more important now than ever so go to simplyearth.com slash west use the code west to get a free $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you subscribe today that's simplyearth.com slash west get a $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you use the code west and subscribe today What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West, and as always, I really hope you like it. Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's going to be a great show today. I feel like every show's a great show. What can I say? And it has nothing to do with me. You know, I feel that pressure when I get on stage to do my concerts that, oh, it's up to me to do a great concert, even though I know it's not up to me there either. I'm praying for the Lord to show up. And when I do this podcast, I don't really feel pressure for it to be a great show because I am most excited about sharing with you what is on the heart of the guests that I get to interview. So uh, either they're going to be great or not. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But most importantly, just like when I get on stage, I just pray that the Lord shows up in these conversations each and every week. And I believe believe he has. And I want to thank you guys for following, for listening every week. I hope it's been an encouraging part of your life. The Matthew West podcast, that's the whole goal of this show is to uh, lift you up, fire you up, encourage you and remind you that God has a huge plan for your story. Man, I'm so excited about today's guest. This is a new friend of mine and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. But first, I want to remind you, there is something else that you can be hearing. You can be hearing live music, joining me and my friends on the road. We just kicked back up after a few weeks off the road. We finished the first run of the brand new tour. We split it up into three sections of the brand new tour. We're in the middle 
middle of the second run with my friends Jordan Feliz, who's got this awesome song that's climbing up the charts like crazy called Jesus is Coming Back. Of course, you heard him on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, Hannah Kerr, who you also heard on the podcast, both of them are joining me right now. So make sure you're finding out where we're performing because we want to worship with you. These have been special, special nights. Every single one has just been a beautiful time. We feel like the Lord's been showing up in a powerful way and reminding us that he is in control in the middle of this crazy chaotic world right now. So we need community, we need each other, and we need to gather together and lift our voices and uh, and give thanks to the God who brings us through. Amen. So go to brandnewtour.com. We'd love to have you join us. Also, did you know we just announced a very special Christmas event. I know some of you are thinking, Matthew, I can't even think about Christmas yet, but um, we are doing a very special uh, Come Home for Christmas with yours truly, inviting you, uh, a very limited amount of people, there's only a a handful of tickets available for this, uh, to come and join me for a special Christmas weekend in Franklin, Tennessee, where I live. It's going to be a weekend like no other. So uh, you can find more information about that at MatthewWest.com. It's called Come Home for Christmas. And if you're in the mood to see what a tender Tennessee Christmas looks like, you can come and hang with me for an entire weekend. It's going to be so awesome. So uh, that's the announcements. And uh, I feel like it's a church service. So that's the announcements. Now, uh, if the ushers will pass the plate. Nope, we're not taking an offering here. All I'm offering to you is my gratitude. Because by the way, they told me that we crossed over 2 million downloads loads of this podcast. And that's all because of you guys supporting us week in and week out. Thank you so much. If you haven't already, leave a review of the podcast wherever you listen. Let people know why you're listening. Let us know what one of your favorite episodes has been or or, or the reason why you've chosen to listen to it week in and week out. And of course, share it with a friend. Let them know that this podcast exists. We're going to keep growing and we're going to keep telling people about Jesus. All right, let's get into today's show. My guest today has a brand new book called What If It's Wonderful. She's a marriage and family therapist and, of course, an author. And this book is important. It's about how difficult it is to trust joy and find the courage to celebrate when you've endured seasons of disappointment and despair. And I love what she has to share in this book, and I'm really excited to unpack this. She's going to remind us today through what she has to say, but also through her book, that that we can stay tethered to the hope of Christ in seasons of celebration, because even our joyful days hold the learning, growth, and intimate encounters with Jesus that our hearts are craving. That sounds like something I need. How about you? So let's go to the story house with my new friend, Nicole Zasowski. Ladies and gentlemen, there is much cause for celebration. That's because my new friend, Nicole, is celebrating the release of a brand new book, and it's a book about celebration and joy. So first of all, thank you for joining me on my podcast. And second of all, congratulations on releasing an awesome new book for the world to read at a time where I think they really need a book about this topic. So congratulations. Thank you so much. It's so fun to be here with you. Okay. What does it look like to celebrate the release of a book in your family, in your house? Where do you live, by the way? Uh, I live in Connecticut, just outside New York City. 
just outside of New York City, which is the best proximity to New York City, right? Yes. Just outside. <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? Yes, you can you can <laughs> access it when you want to, and you can have wide open spaces the rest of the time, which is great. Amazing. And uh, so tell me real quick about your family, and then I want to hear how your family celebrated the release of your, your new book. Yeah, so I live here with my husband and three young children. My son is six, and I have another little boy who's almost two and a half, and a daughter who turned one about a month ago. Oh, so like, are you <laughs> sure you had time to celebrate? Like, what? We made time. It was good. It was good. <laughs> was it like mac and cheese and yeah. all the things? <laughs> a lot of, a lot of uh, happy chaos. Happy chaos. I like that. Your book's called What If It's Wonderful? An Invitation to Release Your Fears, Choose Joy, and Find the Courage to Celebrate. So you're by trade, a, you're not just an author, but you're a family therapist. Is that Did I say that right? Yes, I'm a marriage and family therapist. So marriage and family my therapist. day job is is a lot of counseling. A lot of counseling. But do the kids understand like what a big deal it is to work so hard pouring out your heart on these pages and then seeing this book released into the world. Do they get it? Are they, I mean, congratulations, mommy, or what's happening? I think my six-year-old has a vague idea. It was really cute. He, uh, he's in kindergarten and he came home with this very crude pencil drawing. Um, he had made a book about me writing a book. Um, and my arms were like super long and stretched out to my computer. And it was, it was pretty cute. Um, so I think he has a vague idea, but he's like, mom, why didn't you write a children's book for me? And I'm like, so we'll see, we'll see what the future holds. Maybe, maybe someday. Is that something you would do? Sure, if the right topic came along, I think I'd, I think that would be fun. But don't ask me to illustrate it. I'd have to find somebody to to do that part for me. Well, it sounds like your kid drawing super long arms. I mean, that, yeah, it's, maybe, uh, maybe <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome. Maybe there's a collaboration right there in the making. Maybe so. Maybe so. One of the things that I was thinking about, and I was somebody sent me the information about your book, and that's how like you fell on my radar. But I loved the title of the book. What if it's wonderful? One of the reasons why I loved it is because of it struck me with a tone of irony given the times that we're in right now you're struggling to find the wonderful sometimes do you know what i mean and it seems like we're we're all too ready to embrace everything but joy and uh you know i i feel like especially over the last couple of years uh, the world's given us many more reasons to cry than to laugh. And so here comes a book by you talking about the importance of choosing joy and moving towards celebration. One thing about me, I want to tell you, because the show's all about me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm a three on the Enneagram. And one thing that I heard somebody say to describe the personality of a three is that we have a hard time staying for the confetti to fall. Mm. Um, and, you know, in other words, celebration is not our thing. We're just kind of moving on to the next mountain to climb, the next goal to achieve, or focusing on what's wrong instead of really celebrating some of the beautiful things in our lives. And that kind of hit me to the core. In other words, I don't think I'm good at what your book is going to teach me to do. And this is why I need it. What I'd like to start by is asking you, what's the why of this book for you? Like what, what's your own journey around the word wonderful? And what made you realize this is a book that has to be written and it's coming from a real place in my own journey? 
Yes. And to start, I resonate personally with a lot of what you just shared and having a tendency to look at celebration as a reward instead of a rhythm that cultivates joy. But I did not write this book because I am an expert in celebration. (laughs) This is not something that comes naturally to me at all, but it is something that um, has changed my life and is continuing to change my life. Um, It was born out of a season of a lot of change and a lot of heartache and pain and loss. And when you go through something difficult or painful, whether it's a painful event or the loss of a loved one or a betrayal or whatever that painful thing is, there's the loss itself and then there's the cost. And the cost is the impact to either your identity or your sense of safety. And it took me a really long time to realize that part of the cost in the wake of my own season of heartache was that uh, a lot of fear accompanied my joy. And I was really grieved when I realized that a lot of the loss I experienced was not just the loss itself, but my inability or, or lack of willingness to fully embrace joy. Uh, because it was easier to pray for the miracle, but prepare to mourn and keep my expectations low in an attempt to practice disappointment and rehearse disaster. I had this mentality that if I just keep my expectations low, I won't be hurt when I fall. Um, I talk with my clients sometimes about flying low. You know, if you if you just live right above the ground, maybe it won't hurt as much. But the research is pretty clear that that's not the case. And what you do protect yourself from is a lot of delight. Makes me think of uh, there's an old song by this great kind of folk singer songwriter who lives in Nashville. But he wrote a song called Bonsai Tree, and he talks about if growing up means I'll be cut down then I think I'd rather stay real close to the ground. And he talks about instead of being a big oak, he's like, I want to be a bonsai tree. And like That's exactly the ache it. of that. Was, yeah. <laughs> it just makes me think of that, like that flying low. When you talk about like being planning for loss or or the mourning, were you worried that your expectations of God would be too high in praying for a miracle? Or like that, would you be disappointed by God? Tell me from a spiritual perspective, like what does that mean? Yeah, I think a, a lot of my own pain got overlaid onto my relationship with God, even though I knew in my head who he was and I knew what was true about his character and believed intellectually what scripture said about who he was and what he does in our lives and what's possible with him, I my own pain Uh, definitely got brought into my relationship with God. You know, pessimism is praying for that miracle and preparing to mourn. It's sort of guarding by planning for the worst case scenario. Cynicism is a similar protector, um, but different in that it doubts people's motives. And so even though I knew better, and I would have never shared this with anybody in terms of something that I actually believed was true for them or for me, I started to pray believing that he could move in other people's lives, but not in mine, or that um, the good in my life would always look like broccoli on a dinner plate, like something that was good for me, but not anything that 
I would find enjoyable or exciting. And again, I, I knew better, but the feelings were uh, driving the way that I was interacting with him. It's funny. I saw this. You had written these words, the term of like practicing disappointment. I, I thought to myself, I don't really know what that phrase means yet, but I think I do that. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that what you're describing essentially? Like getting into this pattern? Yeah. I think a lot of us do that is if we just live and often when we feel anxious, that's what our brain does. It sort of runs ahead and paints a picture for all of the worst case scenarios. And it thinks that if we practice, like if I just expect um, the negative outcome, that I'll be ready for it. But again, the research says when disappointment comes, we're no more prepared for it. Um, or it's not like it doesn't hurt, but we do, because our eyes are cast down, we do keep ourselves from seeing all the ways that God is moving in our lives and all the delight that he is bringing into our everyday lives. Not to mention, it's not just our own minds that are playing out the worst case scenario, but we're having that be fed to us right now in constant streams of multimedia, right? Like, I feel like, like if I watch the news for five minutes about Ukraine, it's like, They've talked about all the what-if possibilities, and not a single one of them seems very promising. So I feel like we're kind of being hit on all sides, not to mention in our own personal storms, our own personal disappointments or need of a miracle, but afraid to ask for one. One of the things that I'm thinking about as I'm hearing you share is a personal experience that that I had and our community had uh, recently. I'm a dad of two daughters, and uh, a fellow dad... Our daughters are in cheerleading and lacrosse together. And, uh, you know, the latest COVID strand had come through and kind of affected a lot of people in the community. His whole family got COVID. Everybody recovered quickly except for J.O. His health just began to spiral rapidly to the point where his wife called us and we had been kind of walking with them through it. And she said, can you gather some people to pray real quick? I just need, I need people around me. And so we put some feelers out and about an hour later, about 200 people show up at the church down the road. I brought my guitar and, and we worshiped and the pastor came and I'll never forget this moment. It actually inspired a song that I wrote that I haven't put out yet, but the pastor stopped as we were singing and he said, Hey, we're about to pray. But first, Julie, what do we need to be praying for? Give us, like, tell us how we should pray. And the mom started weeping and she said, the doctors have done everything they can do. I've made every decision to the best of my ability. And she starts weeping. She says, honestly, it's miracle time. And so everybody began praying for a miracle. And can I just tell you, Nicole, I got convicted in that moment because my first instinct was to pray for comfort and peace and here I was watching these people that I was going, well, they must be giants in the faith because their first instinct was to pray for a miracle. I got convicted in that because the things I was praying for, they weren't bad things. They were good things. Sure. But in my mind, I was like, well, why do I leap to that when somebody else takes a bigger leap of faith to pray for a miracle? Now, Jonathan passed and he went to heaven and we've continued to walk with that family through their, their loss and their tragedy. But I think about that story in light of what you're talking about. And I think I do the same thing that you just described about flying low. And how do we rise up out of that pattern of flying low after we've had a disappointment or after our worst case fears 
and worst case scenario, actually came to fruition and we can't see how God is working in, in that situation. There's a couple really important themes there. One of them is, you know, we tend to look, you mentioned being a three and seeing celebration as a reward. Um, that's a mirage where, you know, you get there, you you accomplish that goal, you see that dream fulfilled and, and the celebration is beyond. I think learning to see celebration as a rhythm is one of the things that keep us keeps us anchored in remembering God. You know, if you look at the Old Testament, where all those beautiful feasts and festivals are outlined for us, and we see that they don't occur because the Israelites were in the mood to celebrate or because... they had accomplished something big or because all their work was done. They celebrate because it was time to do so. And that's so that we, um, that our celebration is, is a rhythm that helps us remember God's faithfulness and that we don't see it as a simply a reward for our own goodness or, or a reaction to a good outcome, though it can look like that. And I mentioned that in the context of that story, because I think a question I'm often asked is, what does celebration look like when we can't rejoice? When the world is on fire, when our own personal uh, stories feel like a, a tragedy? And I think celebration in that context looks like remembering who God is and remembering the ways that He has been faithful in our story. And when we're able to do that, there's a difference between having an expectant heart, which I think is what you're talking about too, and being demanding. <laughs> and, mm. and that expectant heart, how do we cultivate that in the face of tragedy? And Daniel is a great um, model for us. And if you're not familiar with the story, you know, he he obviously had a de- desired outcome. And it's not, we we all have things that we pray for, healing, for example, as in the story that you just told, or some sort of breakthrough. And holding an expectant heart means knowing that God can, knowing what he's capable of, believing that he will. And that's where I think you and I might struggle, <laughs> is, mm. is we we practice that negative outcome instead of believing that he will. We're going to pray for that miracle, but we are going to trust that even if we don't get that miracle, He is still the same God, and He is so good, even if we don't understand, and it's not what we wanted. And I think that's what gives me the courage to celebrate, is my celebration is no longer that reward that's, that can only happen if if I get that preferred outcome. But my celebration is anchored in a rhythm of remembrance that cannot be taken away. And yes, it might look different and it will look different uh, when that outcome is not what I had hoped it would be. But I'm not disqualified from celebration in the in the center of my suffering. That's so good. And that anchor of remembrance is anchored in the goodness of God mm-hmm. and the faithfulness of God. 
there's so many things I, I would want to unpack from what you just shared, which, by the way, is your office going to bill me? Is this a counseling <laughs> no. session right now? Because I feel like I should be sitting on a sofa right now. Oh, this is what you shared about the delineation between celebration and rejoicing. Mm-hmm. While we may not have cause for rejoicing, there is still the ability to celebrate. Uh, I think that's really powerful. And then uh, just moments ago, you unpacked the difference between cynicism and pessimism. Pessimism. Can you just repeat that one more time? Because I thought that was really helpful for me. Yeah. Pessimism is negativity around an outcome. So uh, preparing for the worst in our circumstances. Um, and cynicism is a, it's like a brother of pessimism. They're often used interchangeably. But what I learned in my research is cynicism doubts uh, people's motives or God's motives. Yeah. Um, so we could be cynical about a person or or where God is coming from. It's one of the core traits of a of a preacher's kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I won't I won't unpack that part of my story <laughs> for a different um, episode. <laughs> What I love about the just the title of your book has um, it has a a ring of optimism. A glass is half full, if you will. What? But it's almost like you could add the word "but," mm-hmm. which your editor mm-hmm. wouldn't have let you do. But but what if it's one? It's like yeah. Well, what if it's terrible? But what if it's wonderful? You know, um, my daughter uh, at the height of the pandemic, she made I, I this crushed me, broke my heart. But she had um, I noticed a, a notepad by her bedside. And she had made a list of everything that was going wrong. It just like broke my heart, like the gravity of that, like thinking about this like 12-year-old kid going to bed with that list on her mind, you know? And as parents, like my wife showed it to me and we just like, we're like, okay, what? Oh, Lord help us. What do, how do we, <laughs> you know, how do we start to, you know, even before knowing about your book, What If It's Wonderful, it was like, I feel like we were on a quest as parents to ask that question as a family collectively, like, yeah, this is a terrible time right now, but what if, what if there's wonderful things to be found in that? And so some of that came with just literally doing a counter exercise to that list and say, Hey, let's, as a family, let's make, let's each make a list of, of all the things that we're being surprised by in this season that's difficult as a family. One of the things that you mentioned, though, is this is a quote from you, finding joy is more of a hunt than a stroll. I wonder how many people listening to this right now would say, you know what, right now in my life, it does seem like if I'm going to find joy, I got to go and and proactively and intentionally go find it because it ain't coming to find me right now. Can you unpack that, the idea of hunting for joy? Yes. Few among us drift (laughs) toward joy. Our brains just neurologically are little help to us here uh, because left on neutral, the brain leans negative. Really? Yes. Um, Oh, that makes me feel like so much not alone. <laughs> that that was horrible grammar. But no, get I get idea. it. I get it. It's validating because I think a lot of us experience that and we can wonder, is there something wrong with me? And certainly the brain, the hopeful part is that we can carve new neuropathways through some practices around celebration, which is the hopeful part. But just to understand our, our starting place here, there's a few things going on in the brain that are helpful to realize. The first is this phenomenon called the hedonic treadmill, which means that we rapidly adapt to joy. 
I've read about this a little bit. Uh, yeah. This is good. Unpack this. Yeah. So we we might experience something exciting, or maybe we receive the gift that we thought would make us want for nothing else, and then very quickly, what was extremely joyful fades into the background of normal and almost leaves us hungry again. It's kind of like jumping into freezing cold water when your body is shocked at first, and then it only takes a few seconds for your body to start to uh, um, adapt to that temperature. The second is just the fact that our brains are like Velcro for painful input and Teflon for pleasant and positive input. So our brains are extremely efficient and they only want to hang on to what they think they have to. And often that is big, painful things. There's some practices that we can employ to make that different, but but that's our starting place there. Guys, I want to tell you about an organization that I am so proud to be partnering with right now. Um, This is an app that's going to help you in a big way. According to New York Times, more than twice as many kids have been exposed to pornography online as their parents even realize. Now, as a dad, that's a terrifying statistic. But Canopy, a new next generation digital parenting app, is here to make the internet safer for kids by ensuring they never see graphic sexual content, even by accident, all right? Canopy blocks explicit images and videos on every single website. Its advanced AI filtering technology works on smartphones, tablets, and computers. To learn more, visit canopy.us slash west and use promo code west at checkout to get 30 days free and 15% off forever. Unfortunately, the internet is full of explicit content, but with Canopy, your internet doesn't have to be. Okay, you guys, I think you know that I like my coffee, right? But listen, as we age, the fatigue and lack of endurance that we can feel, it can't always be fixed with more and more caffeine. Trust me, I have gone down that rabbit hole. I have tried. It's not possible. Introducing a new way to start your day, Super Beats Heart Chews. They're a tasty treat. They give you the energy you need, and they're good for you. No more afternoon coffees, energy drinks, or candy for that quick pick-me-up. Add two delicious plant-based Super Beats Heart Chews to your morning routine and promote heart-healthy energy energy for your day without the dreaded caffeine crash, which is a very real. And that's because Superbeats Heart Chews unique clinically researched grapeseed extract uh, promotes heart healthy energy and normal blood pressure as part of a healthy lifestyle. I've started adding this to my morning routine. They taste delicious. I, I kind of want to take more than two, but I'm not supposed to. It's been an easy thing to add to my routine and I feel great. And I got a lot of energy, which is helping me record this podcast with great passion and fire. The grapeseed extract used in Superbeats Heart Chews has been clinically shown to be two times as effective as supporting normal blood pressure and that healthy lifestyle. So you got to do that. Do more for your heart right now and treat yourself with Superbeats Heart Chews. For my listeners only, you can get up to 45% off plus free shipping at superbeats.com slash west. Now, this is their best offer available anywhere. You got to check this out. It's superbeats.com slash west for up to 45% off at Superbeats. Got some great news for you, by the way, that it has been a scientific proven fact that 
being a guest on the Matthew S podcast literally sells you 1 million copies of your book. Excellent. And I'm and so, so happy isn't to that, hear that wonderful? <laughs> isn't that wonderful news? It is wonderful. It is wonderful. <laughs> I also just told a lie, but I wanted yes, you to experience that's okay. We'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I figured just that moment on the hedonic that's treadmill. That's right. That's right. <laughs> on that note, I have to brag on the listeners of this podcast like they are unbelievably devoted and listen uh, to every episode and then let me know like the things that spoke to them and how it's strengthening their faith. And so shout out to everybody listening to this. And I know there's a whole bunch of people who are nodding their heads and even probably taking notes to the things that you're you're saying and, and should be taking notes. And now I just lost my train of thought because I was bragging on our on our <laughs> listeners. But how can we get into the practices of this, of celebration. Okay. Can, and you don't have to unpack them all because I know the book is going to be chock full of like, Hey, try this. Here's a, here's some tangible steps. Here's what's worked in your experience. Can you highlight one that comes to mind that you're going, Hey, doing this has helped me in my life immensely. Yes. And if you are interested in this topic, that last third of the book, the, the finding the courage to celebrate section is where you want to camp out because that that part gets more practical. And Good. just a side note, one one thing that was really important to me with those practices is that they are practices that are available to all of us, regardless of what kind of season you're walking. So if you think, well, I'm just not in a season to celebrate right now, all the more reason to pick up the book because this is not the reward waiting for you when when life is perfect and good. Um, but but something that yes, you can practice if you're in a season of joy, but also if you're in a season of hardship. So my favorite place to start is a practice called savoring. And what savoring does is it celebrates the ordinary. So this is an awesome practice that um, helps us carve a new neural pathway for all those other things I just mentioned about the brain. So this is a good counter to those things. And the way that you do this is it's great if you can do it in the moment. So if you um, are washing dishes at your sink and you're just watching uh, a child play outside and you see the sun hit their hair as they're running around and you just want to capture that moment. Um, Or if you reflect on your day and you pick one snapshot, like a photograph from your day, does not have to be perfect. I had a friend who uh, is raising four teenagers, and so they have busy after-school schedules, and she and her husband and her four kids were sitting down to get dinner together. They were all there around the table, and I'm sure there were squabbles and disagreements, but just the fact that they were together was something she wanted to savor. So don't make the criteria too high. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you take that one snapshot and you simply ask your five traditional senses what they're going to remember about that moment. So what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? And what do you feel? And that helps your brain capture and keep that moment so that it can be recalled and celebrated later. Well, first of all, as you lowered your tone, like my heart rate, like 
I think my Apple Watch just told me that I went into like rest mode. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're oh, welcome. No, that is so good. And it's you know what? That's similar to like um, there's a songwriting exercise I do that's apart from songs. It's like a I'll do a 10 minute like first thing in the morning object writing. But one of the encouragements is to tap into the five senses. And whatever that object is that I hone in on, the only rule is that my pen can't leave the paper. And usually by the end of that 10 minutes, I'm not done and I want to keep going, but I have to stop. One, I love that word and how you've captured it, the importance of savoring. And then in what you just described, you tell me that there's not at least one redeemable moment, a redeeming moment in, in even the worst day and you know who proves that to me, what you just described? You know who's good at savoring? Lulu West, my 16-year-old daughter. You look at her phone, you know what you will find? You will find hundreds of pictures of sunrises and sunsets. She literally walks outside every night and takes a picture of the sunset, like a physical that. snapshot of it. Good. And I can't help but think that she's also putting into practice without even knowing it, some of those savoring steps that you talked about. That is so, that is so good. That speaks straight to uh, some things I needed to hear today. And I know some of the listeners are, are writing this down as well. I can't wait to dive into the whole book, which just came out. And you obviously have reason to celebrate. Moment of truth, though. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Because when I put a record out or when I put a book out, I'm going to put a book out in the fall. And I'm telling you, like, I, but I get like the celebration of having completed the book gets like completely demolished by the rise and fall of like, are people liking it? Did people buy it? Like, if I'm, just, if I'm being honest, it is like not enough that I completed it. I struggle with that. So, even a book about what if it's wonderful and the importance of so, can you like tell me, like, is there, is there a part of you that, drifts towards negative based on you know the response of the book or is it are you able to just celebrate that it came out and that whoever needs to get it is gonna is gonna be blessed by it I take my title to the face all the time (laughs) 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 it it uh it's actually been the best title for me because it's just a question that interrupts all my other what if questions you know what yes. if i fail what if i'm rejected what if this so and so doesn't approve what you know the list goes on and i know everyone listening has their own set of what if questions too the practice honestly that that keeps me uh disciplined in moving into another place because i truly believe celebration is a a practice and a discipline, is the practice of thanksgiving. And this is a little different than gratitude. We we talk about uh, gratitude a lot, which is great because the research says it does increase our joy. It helps us notice and name what is good. So the noticing changes our perspective and the naming puts a structure around it that helps us keep it. But what we don't often talk about is that Thanksgiving doubles the joy that we glean from gratitude. So actually expressing the gratitude that I feel. So when I'm able to look someone in the eye and say, this is the difference you make by being in my life. And here are all the ways that I've grown and changed because of your presence and because of your friendship. 
Um, or when I'm able, it's been a beautiful way to celebrate the gift with the giver um, in my relationship with God. And particularly with the release of a book, just thanking him for every movement and moment that I can has been such a counter to what didn't happen. Because again, that's that dynamic in our brain that constantly uh, we have this tendency to tell our joy how it can be improved upon. So, you know, you and I release a book or you write a song and release it and you're satisfied with how it turned out and you're excited to have it out. And then all of a sudden, maybe you think, ooh, would it have been better if... Or this person said they liked it, but they didn't say they loved it. Or, you know, we constantly tell our joy how it can be improved upon. And and Thanksgiving is just such a healthier practice that that keeps us out of that place. You mentioned about your relationship with God and, and how Thanksgiving is related to that. And I wonder if we could, if we could close out our time together by talking about the wonderful moment that your faith became real to you. And that's something we can all, for those of us who've, who've come to that decision where it's like, Hey, my story's not my own. Mm -hmm. I'm going to dare to believe there's an author of all stories. I'm going to trust my story and place it in the hands of its rightful author. One question that I ask every guest, regardless of where the conversations go, it always comes home to this one place. And, and there's a reason for this, but I ask the guest to, uh, and I know I didn't prepare you for this, but I have a feeling you'll have a wonderful answer anyways, <laughs> because it's an, it's a, just a great chance to uh, answer from the heart and maybe even take a stroll down memory lane yourself. But I talk about my blue couch story. And uh, what I mean by that is I was a 13-year-old kid sitting on my mom's blue couch in the living room of my childhood home. I was a preacher's kid, and there felt like this it never really connected with me that God had a desire to have a personal connection with me beyond the family ties. Right. But I, I stumbled upon a Billy Graham crusade and I'll never forget just that moment where I felt God knocking at the door of my heart in, in just an undeniable way. And as he was inviting people to pray, that was just a moment where I just felt like God was saying, you know, saying my name and saying, Matthew, I I love you. I made you and I have a plan for your life. And that was what I call a a blue couch moment. And I've learned since then that God desires more than just one moment through the years with us. He's going to show himself to be real to us and give us so many reasons to be thankful for his love, his goodness, and his faithfulness. But sometimes when I feel far away in my faith, there's that memory. And even when I get to talk to somebody else and they tell me about that moment in their life, it kind of reminds me that the first love is not as far away as I might think. So with all that long introduction, would you share, can you think of a blue couch moment? It could even be a more recent one that led to the inspiration of this book or whatever it is, a moment that strikes you as a blue couch moment in, in the life of Nicole. Mine might be more of a season. I grew up in the church. Uh, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior really early in life. And obviously it was a a faith that grew and matured over time. But in my early 20s, I had just gotten married. I was in graduate school and starting my therapy practice. Um, And we were living in the LA area. And 
our life was what I would describe as comfortable. Not that it was um, cushy or <laughs> luxurious, um, but I learned looking back, I can see that um, sometimes the enemy's work in our life looks like an outright attack, but often, at least in my life, I think it looks like making me comfortable without Christ. And Ooh. that was definitely where I was in that season of my life. And we moved very suddenly, which was the beginning of a really painful season that's actually outlined in my first book, From Lost to Found. But I recognized that um, sometimes God's rescue looks like prying our fingers off of what we think we want so that we can have open hands to receive what we actually need and what will set us free. And that move, moving me out of that place where I had to leave all of those props to my faith behind. I would have said I was dependent on Christ. I would have said I love Jesus, and I did. But my identity and security were very invested in my own performance, my own hard work, pleasing other people, the approval of others. And it took losing those things to have God reintroduce himself to me, I should say, as, mm. as the answer and um, the one thing I, I need and will actually set me free. So it was really painful to have my fingers pried off of those things. But I thank God because I'm not sure I would have let go, if I'm being really honest. Um, and that was what his rescue looked like in my life. And looking back, I'm so grateful that's why I asked that question because it's powerful <laughs> what you just shared. I mean, um, so many things that I'm going to go back and listen to. I mean, just the idea of the enemy making us comfortable without Christ and then and the idea of the things we think we want versus the things God knows we need. It's just, I'm so thankful that you would share that. And, you know, I loved how you said earlier, how you wear the title of this book on your face. I think <laughs> you said something to that effect because that's it. Like, I, I want to read a book that's been lived in. You know oh, yeah. what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I want to read a book from somebody who's going, no, like I, and I say the same thing about my songs. Like I'm not writing a song from the perspective of somebody who's figured it out. I'm figuring, I'm, I'm working out my faith with fear and trembling and, and a ballpoint pen. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's what we're doing. And, and so I can tell that, that this book is personal in nature in the sense that the inspiration comes from a real life journey that you yourself are on hunting for joy, uh, being intentional and realizing there's, there's always a reason to celebrate practicing the practice of savoring and just seeing those redeeming qualities that God gives us in every single day of our lives. This has been some really good stuff, and I'm so glad I got a chance to to talk to you today. Congratulations on the new book. It's called What If It's Wonderful? And uh, I know everybody's going to go check it out. I want to read the subtitle. It's What If It's Wonderful? An Invitation to Release Your Fears, Choose Joy, and find the courage to celebrate. Uh, we're celebrating with you. Congratulations you. on this book. And I know it's going to impact and inspire. And uh, the Lord's going to use it to speak to a whole lot of people who need to um, be hunting down joy in these difficult times in our lives. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Okay, now it's time for songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House, inspired by my conversation 
with Nicole and the importance of embracing joy, I'm going to go back all the way to the very beginning of my career, the title cut from my first album, which was called Happy. Now, uh, before you listen to a little bit of this song, there's great irony in this title because I wrote this song at a time in my life where, surprise, I was anything but happy. I had suffered a nasty injury to my arm. I still have the scar to prove it. The scar runs down the length of my entire forearm. I'll show you if you ever come to one of my concerts. Of course, I charge a dollar per viewing, but no, I'm just kidding. But um, I suffered this terrible injury, left me uncertain of whether or not I'd ever be able to play the guitar again. You guys, I get on stage and I've got the scars to prove that somebody didn't want me to do what I love to do. Um, but God restored my hand. And uh, in fact, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm feeling my fingers have always been a little bit numb ever since that injury. So, um, you know, it's kind of a crazy part of my story, but uh, just a beautiful part of the story of God's redemption and how he healed me and brought me through. But I'll tell you, I wrote this song when I felt anything but happy. And that's why the chorus says, I should be uh, realizing that the joy of the Lord is my strength, that even when circumstances aren't lining up the way I hoped they would, that there is still joy to be found. There's still life worth celebrating. And so I hope this song fires you up to find the joy and ask yourself, just like Nicole said, what if it's wonderful? Um, God wants to bring you joy, and the joy of the Lord can be your strength today. Check this out. I should be happy. I should be He's my dad and he gives good advice and that's why today's final section, section, segment, portion, final part, the final thing of the show is called Dad Vice. Play that music. He is my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. Dad, we started out this year and we're still continuing with this theme for every dad advice and really for every devotional uh, in our day one devos that our ministry sends out, Pop We sends out a weekly devotional every Thursday. I want to make sure everybody knows about that. Uh, you can sign up at popwe.org to receive a free email devotional every week. And the theme has been First Things First, inspired by a guest I had on the podcast, Super Bowl champion, uh, Hall of Fame quarterback, Kurt Warner. The theme was First Things First, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Um, I'm, I'm guilty like I'm sure many people are, of just letting other things take top priority in my life. And uh, I wanted to get to the end of 2022 saying, Lord, to the best of my ability, I kept first things first, meaning I put him first. So uh, give us some encouragement along those lines today. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about first try and Proverbs 24, 16, powerful verse, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again. Another translation for that godly man may trip and fall seven times, he will get back up again. I don't know if you remember this saying, Matthew, as a kid, if at first you don't succeed, try, try and again. 
This proverb was traced back in a teacher's manual by an American educator, Thomas Palmer, from the 1800s. His words went like this, "'Tis a lesson you should heed. Try, try again. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again." It simply means don't give up too easily. Persistence pays off in the end. So three things we can learn from this lesson. One, we all fail at times. The Bible says that. The righteous falls. Uh, We're all going to make mistakes. Sometimes we beat ourselves up for failure, but we all will fail. And it's what we do with that failure that determines our outcome. The second thing, don't give up. Three questions to ask yourself. What is your knee-jerk reaction when you fail? Do you give up easily or are you challenged to get up and try again? Let's look at Paul's example, 2 Corinthians 4.18. We are going to zero in on three verses, but you can go back and look at chapter 4, verses 8 through 18 in 2 Corinthians. It's a great Bible study. In my Bible, in big red letters, it says, cast down but unconquered. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. So we all fail. Secondly, don't give up. And then thirdly, get back up. Try again. Micah 7, 8. Do not rejoice over me, Mm. my enemy, when I fall. I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Micah was saying, enemy, you can't rejoice over me because when I fall, I'm going to get back up. And Matthew, I love the uh, lyrics to your song, Only Grace. And it goes, and there's only grace and there's only love. There's only mercy. And believe me, it's enough. Your sins are gone without a trace, and there's nothing left now. There's only grace. And if you should fall again, get back up. Get back up. Reach out and take my hand. Get back up. Get back up. Get back up again. Oh, get back up again. That's a good message. We all need to hear it, Dad. Thank you so much for sharing that today. Get back up today. If that's speaking to you, then uh, be encouraged um, to know that you can get back up. And uh, I love that. Read that first scripture you read again about the the righteous man falls down six times. Yeah, uh, Proverbs twenty four sixteen. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. That's what I'm talking about. So yes. uh, get back up again. All right. Thanks, Dad. That's our show for today. I want to thank my guest, uh, Nicole Zasowski. I was praying for the ability to pronounce her last name, and I did it. I think I did it. Nicole is amazing, and uh, I know you were encouraged by today's conversation, and I want to encourage you to check out her book, What If It's Wonderful? And uh, let's find joy, let's celebrate, and let's give thanks to God who gives us every good gift comes from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And uh, we have much to celebrate, even when times are hard. Amen. So uh, thanks to Nicole. Hey, um, I love you guys. I'm so thankful that you joined me. Again, thanks for helping us to reach 2 million downloads of this podcast. And we're just getting started. This has been an incredible journey. And speaking of journeying, uh, you know I'm on the road right now, so you can find out where I'm going to be and when at brandnewtour.com. Brandnewtour.com. Or go to, you know, just go to Matthew West. At MatthewWest.com, you can find everything you need. The official podcast page is there as well, MatthewWest.com slash podcast. I'm going to post a link to Nicole's new book. 
And uh, last but not least, you know, our ministry is called Pop We. And uh, thanks to my dad for joining me every week with Dad Vice. But we send out a weekly devotional. We'd love to include you in that list uh, at popwe.org. I know I'm sending you to a bunch of different places, but if you follow me on social media, it's not hard to find. But we would love to send you a weekly devotion through our ministry, Pop We. And if you have a prayer request, you can also submit a prayer request at popwe.org. We'd love to know how we can be praying for you and lifting you up because uh, you don't have to carry your burdens alone. We are in this together and we need each other. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember, it's your story for his glory. I'll see you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.